white man and orange male. No! (laughs) Good morning and welcome to the Desert Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Brooks. And I'm Fran Nielsen. How are you doing this morning, Fran? I'm really good. I've got my new glasses on. Everything is so clear. (laughs) I've had the first lie-in in two weeks. The dream. I know. So I'm pretty, pretty, pretty happy with myself. How are you? I mean, other than death. I am. Yes, I should inform white male and the orange man that I'm not the freshest of Katie's today. Oh. So um, please excuse me if you think that my voice sounds like I've been taken over by someone else. She's still here. She's still our I Katie. am still here. I am not sadly reclining like an emperor today. First time recording in a couple of weeks, isn't it? I know. I've actually really missed it. So apologies to everyone for our lack of pod last week. Um, yeah. My excuse was that I went to London, Dublin, then Waterford, and accidentally Tipperary. And as the song goes, it is a long way to Tipperary. It's a long way to Tipperary. Yeah, and um, basically just didn't have a free minute to to record, or even research, actually. Which Mm -hmm. is also why I've had my first line in two weeks, because it's just been go, go, go. What's your excuse, Katie? Last weekend, essays, social events, life really got in the way. Um, Uh, ended up not being the world's most important week no I mean the national emergency in the states but this week's been more exciting hasn't it yes exactly it was one of those moments wasn't it where trying to fit two people's schedules together to find a moment when we could record was very difficult so it was like oh I'm free at this time I can't do that time but I'm free at this time yeah (laughs) and then it got to the point where we could have probably recorded it but then by the time you would have had the time to edit it. It wouldn't have been out until midweek. Yeah, because so. it does take 5,000 hours to record every episode. Because It's to edit every episode because... Mostly because we mess up the technology, so something always needs drastic editing measures. Or we just chat a lot of crap. Yeah. It's also a lot of the problem. I know, I know. This is why you shouldn't do it with your friends, because then you want to just know how they are. It's... Before we start recording, we always have to have, like, a bit of chat beforehand. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like, otherwise, if we start recording, I mean, we've already worked out that there are about five minutes of this recording that we've got to cut already because it was just us talking about mugs. Yeah, that, that is actually what we were talking about. So, so poor old Katie is dying. I have the plague. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm going to go first in order to save my voice because it's, as I handily No, don't say. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear it again. It's lubricated by a nice mug of lemon syrup. Inappropriate, Katie. Sorry. Actually, do you want want to know the the saddest thing in the world? Yeah, okay. Yesterday evening, I because I've been really ill, I didn't leave the house after Monday until I had to leave the house for an hour on Friday. That's my idea of hell. And then it was so unpleasant to leave the house that I immediately came home again. <laughs> um, 
So I've watched every Harry Potter film twice. Twice? Why? For me, the Harry Potter films, I used to, like, I, I love Harry Potter and I was really, really into it when I was a kid. And so it's very comforting. It's a bit like macaroni cheese. Macaroni cheese reminds me of my mum. Mm. So when I'm, like, unwell, watching the Harry Potter films is, like, it's basically the only time I do it now because I don't really, okay. really have time. So, because also I don't have the mental capacity to be original enough to then come up with something else to watch when I finish them. I was just like, okay, I'll just start again. <laughs> so that's why you watch them. T- oh, what? Are you a Ravenclaw? I'm a Ravenclaw. I'm a Gryffindor. Yes, you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That's what Pottermore sorted me into. I Pottermore always used to put me in Slytherin, which I'm not surprised because I am the sneakiest. <laughs> <laughs> but then... I used to be a lot more sneaky so and then ever since I moved to university every time I've done it since then I've been sorted into Ravenclaw yeah which I'm much happier with to be honest I think you are a Ravenclaw yeah so do I but yeah you are a Gryffindor with maybe Hufflepuff elements yes yeah Mm. the saddest story in the world yes sorry I had just got to the end it was like eight last night and I just got to the end of the Deathly Hallows part one <laughs> so setting myself up for the last one everyone had just died basically yeah dobby had just um exited this life is hedwig still alive no she dies right at the beginning yeah fred he is still alive yeah um spoilers for anyone sorry for anyone who's not seen that but by this stage yeah. what you do with your lives <laughs> So, yeah, I was setting myself up and I'd just done the washing up for my supper. So I was like, oh, OK, make myself a mug of Lemsip and um, watch the last film and then go to bed. So I made myself a, a mug of Lemsip, obviously with boiling water, because that's how you make a mug of Lemsip. And from where I had done the washing up, there was obviously some water on my kitchen floor. My kitchen floor, obviously for our listeners who don't know, is a heinous vinyl but the rest of the flat is like laminate floors. Yeah. So I had obviously wet feet from a bit of water on the floor, walked out of the kitchen onto the laminate floor, slipped. <laughs> so the mug of Lenset obviously went up in the air and burnt my hand. And I was like, absolute snakery. That the thing that is supposed to make me feel better has just burnt me. So I'm standing oh, there in the kitchen. Fortunately, I put magic cream on it and it's fine. So, <laughs> but I was like, this is just, this is betrayal. Et tu, Brute. <laughs> Did you hurt yourself when you slipped? Other than the, the burn? No, well, I might have done, but I think the pain from the burn was so <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> she actually has a broken leg, but she knows. No I, I probably pulled something, but yeah. Oh, hot. Yeah. Injury prone. Anyway, so unimportant. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right, Katie's gonna go first this week with a with the US because even though stuff has been happening, it is slightly less on the stuff scale to the UK. So Yeah, I'm just and I'm wildly up. excited for the UK. So we're gonna go. I'm so excited for the UK. All week I've been like, I can't wait to talk about this on the podcast. Honestly, it's wild. We need to get better things to do with our lives, but anyway. First of all, we should probably tackle and just get it out of the way. Paul Manafort. What's he done? 
So Trump's former campaign manager, yeah. who is being sentenced for a number of uh, criminal activities. And if you want to know more about that, you can probably listen to. I think it's episode one. We talk about it in episode one, I think in episode three and possibly in the State of the Union. Yeah, no, definitely in State of the Union. So. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, maybe you should just go refresh yourself on all of our previous content, you know? Yes, why not? Why not, Orange Man? Yes, Trump's former campaign manager, who is being sentenced for various criminal activities, apparently has repeatedly and brazenly, and that's in quotation marks, broken the law since he was found guilty. It, which is what the prosecutors have said in the sentencing memo. He has lied to prosecutors consistently, basically what they've said, and this is a quote for them, they said that it reflects a hardened adherence to committing crimes and a lack of remorse. We're currently in waiting as to uh, how long he's going to be sentenced for. The potential amount of time is up to 22 years, so it's not insignificant. Yeah, let's hope he gets all of that. Indeed. Um, so, and that's for like wide-ranging conspiracy. So it's like money laundering, obstru- obstruction of justice, hidden overseas bank accounts, false statements to the Justice Department, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. And the two that he pleaded guilty to carry a maximum sentence of ten years, but he was found guilty of a number of more. Right. Okay. Anyway, this is good news. Yes, this is positive news actually, because this is clawing back, and it is only a small part, but it is a significant part despite Mm -hmm. its size, a small part of the American democratic system is being clawed back in this. It's punishing someone who has made a mockery of the electoral system, office of the president, everything like that. So I think it's an important moment. Obviously, again, it's so much of what I have to report on from America. I always have to be like, it's a developing story. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. And then by the next week, there's something new that I have to talk about. But um, it's certainly one to watch. We should chat a little bit about the wall and the national emergency. Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> Every time the wall comes up in these episodes, we're like, oh, for goodness sake. Do we have to talk about the wall? Is this really something that's important to talk about again? Go on then, make it quick. <laughs> <laughs> Not this week, last week, on February the 15th, President Trump cited concerns that the US is being flooded with kidnappers, violent offenders, murderers, etc. from its southern border. And he was declaring a national emergency in order to reallocate funds to building his long-awaited border wall. The look on Fran's face is just so disgusted right now. I almost don't even want to waste the breath. Being mad about it. Yeah. Indeed. So this this comes in response to the fact that uh, Congress passed a clean funding resolution. So we talked about previously the government shutdown, and that was a response to um, economic concerns. And basically, Congress has come to an agreement about short-term funding. Mm-hmm. President Trump decided not to use his veto power on this bill that had come through because it didn't contain funding for the wall and instead instead decided that he was going to declare a national emergency. So much of a national emergency, in fact, that the day after he then went on a golf trip, because obviously when the nation is in a state of deep and rich turmoil, that's what you do, isn't it? House Democrats have a bill planned for Tuesday overturning Trump's emergency declaration 
Um, It's likely to pass the House. We will see how it goes in the Senate. The likelihood actually is that it will pass the Senate, but Trump might veto it. Mm -hmm. Well, Trump is very likely to veto it, in fact. And the reason that it's probably going to pass the Senate is that there are a number of senators who are starting to realise that Trump's relationship with the border wall and with immigration is very dangerous for 2020. So there are the usual suspects in terms of um, voting against the party. So Senator Susan Collins from Maine. Lisa Murkowski. The bill is likely to, to pass the Senate. If Trump then chooses to veto it, which again, probably quite likely, there's then a sort of a sticky constitutional situation. And if you want to know more about the uh, the US Constitution, then you can listen to last week's baby pod. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one, I think, because the wall was so much of Trump's campaign when he was running for president in 2016. So yeah. And I know it's frustrating that we have to keep talking about it and it's probably frustrating to have to, have to keep listening to it. But it is really sort of his only big policy. Yes. Other than revealing, a, revealing, repealing Obamacare and he's not managed yeah. to do that. So no. um, it's interesting because the data really doesn't support what he's doing. We've talked about this previously. We talked about the data regarding the number of people who are crossing the southern border. We've talked about the geography and the potential for actually building a wall across the southern border. We've recommended going and looking at videos and listening to people who actually live on the border because as both Fran and I are passionate about two different borders, mine, the mm. US-Mexico border, Fran's, the Irish border. But listening to border communities is really important. Yeah. And obviously that has been something which is really just not had a place, I don't think, in this discussion. It will be interesting to see how that plays out. And Kevin Appleby, who is the policy director at the Centre for Migration Studies, which is a think tank covering immigration, and it's nonpartisan, so it's it's neither Democrat nor Republican. He said the data, and I'll talk about that in a second, proves this is a fake emergency. It really shows what the president's doing is abusing his power based on false information. And that's because... She sums uh, up the... Uh, well, that just sums up the Trump administration, Trump president, really, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Trump declared this national emergency on February the 15th. As of February the 9th, nearly 63% of the detainees in ICE, so uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, jails had not been convicted of any crime. So they're not criminals. So of the 48,793 immigrants, the ICE data shows that only 18,124 had criminal records. So an average of 59% of detainees in custody during this past fiscal year had no criminal history. And that's from ICE itself. So, Good job, ICE. Indeed. ICE is such a rogue agency. It's a product yeah. of Bush Jr., um, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no one's surprised by that fact. Nope. And there's a reason that progressives think that I should be abolished. And it's because it is wildly out of control. Children in cages, need we say any more? Well, indeed, children dying in cages, I think, is is particularly important to mention. Again, the facts just simply don't support Trump's agenda. He's saying things like it's an invasion. We've got an invasion of drugs and criminals coming into our country. And he says, this is a quote, we have an invasion of drugs and criminals coming into our country that we stop, but it's very hard to stop. With a wall, it would be very easy. Yeah, yeah, Donald. 
So that's the national emergency. Essentially, what national emergency means is that the president can um, reallocate funds from the military, which, again, seems counterintuitive when Trump is supposedly a very pro Yeah. Um, So moving on from the national emergency, the other big story of the past two weeks in America has been Bernie. Katie really dislikes Bernie. I do. Shall I go into my dislike of Bernie or shall I talk about him first and then go into my dislike of Bernie? Can you talk about him without your dislike? Yes, 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 I can. So this week, uh, Bernie Sanders, independent senator from Vermont, announced that he would be running for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. So he joins a crowded field and actually... Mm -hmm. There is a really, really good um, piece of art by a guy called, I think you pronounce his surname, Hoon. So Matt Hoon. Um, and it's called Racing to 2020. We'll put it on the Instagram and the Twitter. Um, but it, it is a nice visual representation of the problem with having such a crowded field. Yes, Bernie announced this week so essentially he has not changed particularly his stances from 2016 yep so he again wants medicare for all he wants a 15 dollar minimum wage he wants um free college tuition so free higher education tuition to be available essentially a wealth tax So, again, very little that's changed. He very much believed that the primary in 2016 was stacked against him. And I do think there's a certain argument to suggest that the DNC, well, they wanted Hillary. Mm. Well, and I think that's actually quite legitimate, uh, a a legitimate ambition because he's not a Democrat. Man who's not a Democrat runs for Democratic nomination. Well, of course, the Democratic machinery is going to be stacked against you. Yes. And also being, you know, Hillary Clinton is the most qualified candidate ever to run for president. Yeah, she. Yeah. I think she's, you know, the only person who I can think of really who rivals her in terms of experience that's appropriate to context and time and place would be Bush senior. This also comes up, you know, this is another old white man running for the presidency. (laughs) And yeah, I think I mean, neither of us are particularly big fans of Bernie, are we? Well, yeah, I'm not a fan, but I would say in 2016, I didn't I don't dislike his policies. But my problem was in 2016 was that he just wasn't charismatic. There was zero charisma about him. For me, he can't sell what he's putting out there. And I think also part of the problem is that he he has a role to play in the election of Donald Trump, 100%. Because in such a divisive election, his willingness to, after losing the primary to support Hillary and to get his, his supporters to support Hillary, was lukewarm yeah. at best. Yeah. So there there is an element of that. It's also, he has definitely fostered a culture of, well, they're termed Bernie bros. And um, this is not every Bernie Sanders supporter by any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly a... A subculture within his supporters of typically young white men who have taken his ideas they're very passionate about what he stands for and it has developed quite an unpleasant subculture 
in terms of their relationship to people who disagree with them, people of colour, women, so on and so forth. He has been very successful in pushing the mainstream of the Democratic Party towards more democratic socialist ideas. Yes. So he is, you know, medical. Yes, and this is the other thing. He is not a socialist. He's a democratic socialist. But in America, yes. of course, that's perceived as communist. <laughs> and also, yes, it should be noted within the American context, shouldn't it? Because a lot of the things that he's suggesting are not particularly alien to Europe so we have right. healthcare that is available to all free at the point of use it comes from taxation you know yes it's not the world's craziest idea at yeah. all yeah much of Europe has free higher education I also think my issue with Bernie Rennie again is that I think he did a and like we say he, he did a fantastic job of, of shifting the conversation left mm. for the Democratic Party but I think on top of that you've then got that you know there's a whole new wave of Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who have taken on these politics and they're the new face of these kind of policies. But who also sell it better, I think. And yeah, sell it way better because they have a better grasp of how to talk to younger people, how to talk to people who haven't been in politics their whole life. Yeah. And also who are unashamedly members of the Democratic Party. Yes. And say, this is the party for us and we're going to push it from being inside it. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think is something that people are suspicious of, that Bernie has for his entire political life, essentially, been an independent. And then Mm -hmm. when it's politically salient, he's a Democrat. Yeah. And I think people do see that as jumping on a bandwagon. Yeah. Refusing to do the work from inside the party that's required, you know, because as we can see from, you know, party politics in the UK, parties, when they're allowed to get out of control and when they are, when they become entities of their own right, rather than just ways of understanding other people who agree with you or disagree with you, they can be very messy and very dangerous. He has a problem with people of colour. Not that he's necessarily personally racist in an overt way. I mean, we can talk about institutional racism and systematic racism and the role that race has to play in every relationship and interaction in the United States because it's there and it's present. Yeah. But Hillary won the black votes very significantly within the primary and then again in the general election and that's really important because people of color and particularly black voters are and this is not to use them just as sort of tokens and to be like oh win the black vote and you win the presidency or anything like that that's not what I mean black voters in general are very politically engaged because there is a culture and heritage of knowing what happens when you don't get your democratic rights particularly black women have um, yes i was about to say there was this whole twitter thread about how you should always vote like a black woman if you're in doubt of how to vote yeah exactly because they get it right every time he does have a problem with black voters and i think this this ties into what i was talking about that kind of unpleasant subculture Mm -hmm. is that bernie's campaign is really white and actually the united states is moving towards a place where there are more people of colour where there is more representation within politics of people of colour. There's a long way to go, don't get me wrong. And that's also not coming from a country where we're particularly any better. I'm not, you know. No, no, no. And this is, this goes back to sort of, people get upset about this because they're kind of like, well, what's the problem with having an all white campaign if they're the best people who are qualified? But if you're trying to win something like the presidency, 
Mm. which involves appealing to voters of all different shades, then I think, you know, we all have different lived experiences and those lived experiences can come from the colour of your skin tone. Mm. So my experiences as a white woman are very different to my to the experiences of a black man in Alabama. And mm. the only, you know, unless you are also a black person, it's very difficult to understand the nuances of those and the difficulties of those lived experiences, which is why you need people like that on your campaign. Yes. And also being able to acknowledge that these are, as you say, lived experiences. They're not just kind of political talking points or anything like that. They are the daily realities for people yeah. within within your, your country. And if your policies and your campaign aren't aware of the problems, and, that, and that's, I think, this kind of is maybe the root of my issue with Bernie is that Bernie has a lot of great ideas. And I think he has been really good at pushing the party left on issues which are supported. The vast yeah. majority of the American population support Medicare for all. Yeah. But he does have a problem with nuance. He does have a problem with being able to understand that there are complex and difficult systemic issues which influence the way that people experience life, but also engage with the political process in the United States. And the issue with voters of colour in his campaign is kind of the, the it's the microcosm of a wider issue. Mm -hmm. And I think he sees big problems like the fact that the private sector needs to be reined in or that having government that works well is really important or that excessive greed can be detrimental, that kind of thing. And he sees big problems and he's like, OK, right, this is a big solution. And that's great, except for the fact that you need bold and you need progressive policies, certainly. But you also need policies that work and people's concerns about how are you going to pay for this? Are genuine yeah they and are legitimate not, concerns and their concerns aren't out of you know they're not just from middle class people who are like oh I don't want you to tax me more or anything, anything like that they're from people who experienced the result of 2008 recession for example mm -hmm. they're people who saw what huge amounts of national debt can do to small communities to rural farmers to absolutely blue-collar workers and so when who are still suffering Exactly. And so when people say, how are you going to pay for this? What's your kind of your nuanced economic plan that's going to represent and reflect the issues that the country deals with? And he's not great at then turning around and being able to zero his focus in on that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, if he became the Democratic nominee, I would encourage all people to vote for him because any Democrat is better than a Republican. Yes. Yeah. But I am very I'm hopeful that he will not be because I think he is too divisive and I think he has too much baggage to be able to yeah to get to get to voters who you know they voted for Obama but then they voted for Trump that mm -hmm. kind of thing so I yeah. think I don't think mm. and I think if we were going to have an old white guy Joe Biden would just be so much more successful oh yes yeah although I did see his announcement we're still waiting for yeah come on Joe <laughs> well maybe he's waiting for some people to drop out of the crowded field maybe or maybe he's just like I'm too old for this I've run twice before you know yeah he might be, and that's okay. Yeah. Although I did see a thing, um, I think it was MSNBC this week. They did a poll. It might have been CNN. Don't quote me on that. Um, they did a poll, and at the moment, the two front runners in a Democratic primary are Joe Biden and Michelle Obama. <laughs> so neither <laughs> of them are running. <laughs> and um, 
yeah, if you think Joe Biden is unlikely, Michelle Obama will never, ever, ever run. No, 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 no. All we need to do is go and read her autobiography. She will never run. No. That's a whistle-stop tour of two weeks of American politics. Yeah. We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, Fran is going to, well... Oh, it has finished, <laughs> hasn't it? So. It's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> okay, so the UK, where do we begin? Well, yes. I think, okay, the easiest thing to do would be to give a quick, 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 a quick, uh, <laughs> a quick. Can a, I tell you about really funny meme just on that subject? It's a one. It's, um, yeah. I know how much you love this. It's a woman, like, one of those stock photos of a woman texting her husband and then one below of him replying. And the the woman texting is like, do you fancy coming home for a quickie at lunch? And the guy replies like, it's actually pronounced quiche. (laughs) I know how much you love this. You always bring it up. (laughs) It's one of my favourite quiche memes. There were so many... Clearly. I remember actually, but it, it's not my top meme. My top meme is the wolf. Okay, so to get back on track, <laughs> um, I think it's easier if we just give a quick summary of what's happened with Brexit, which, as far as quick goes, the answer is nothing. Oh yeah, classic. You know, Theresa May's useless. So. Basically, she met with President of the European Commission Jean Claude Juncker, and he said he wasn't expecting a breakthrough. They basically agreed to meet again before the end of the month. So that's very exciting. The Tornister, Simon Coveney, said the proposals put forward by Corbyn for a deal on Brexit would be welcomed by Brussels. But these proposals have to come from London and they can't be tabled by Brussels. But that's a non-starter because will Theresa May go for a customs union? No. So that's that. Um, in terms of other stuff, Ireland introduced this massive bill this week. It's a 15-part omnibus bill in preparation for a no-deal Brexit, which basically just has contingency measures across health, transport, tax, welfare. Um, so it will go to the Dole next week and then committees the week after, and then it will turn to the Dole. And then from March 11 onwards, it will go through the Shenad. And so all that legislation should be approved before the 29th, just in the case that we end up with a no-deal Brexit. So that's good and on the Irish UK side the both the UK and the Irish governments have also guaranteed the continued payment of pensions child benefit and other social welfare payments if the UK exits the EU without a deal and this is because there are thousands of people who live in the Republic who get pensions and other payments from the UK and Dublin also pays out a range of benefits to people who live in the UK so that just you know, that's our complex intertwined history, the common travel area. And, you know, it's good that legislation is happening there. Yeah, Basically, that is that is a positive, isn't it? Yes, but the Irish have got their got their act together. Yeah. Out of everyone, the Irish are completely on the ball. So I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah, that. same as they've been for this whole time, really. Yeah, they? so good. But also, this is such an argument for small nations being part of the eu mm-hmm. and this is actually this is the e, sort of we talk about the eu as though it's something separate to ireland or what, what have you mm-hmm. but i do think in general the kind of like the eu administration they have played this very well because the absolute unilateral solidarity 
Yeah, we've talked about this before. It's so impressive. But it's it's convincing. That's the yes, thing. It's it convincing. It doesn't seem like it's a ploy. It doesn't feel like, oh, we're just doing this to get back at the Brits. It's like, this is this thing that we think is really precious, this union. Exactly. So, yeah. So basically nothing has nothing exciting in terms of Brexit progress has happened. But. <laughs> oh, so many resignations this week so exciting every time they happened I was just uh but it's not even resignations just from you know cabinet positions or no the front bench it's from parties isn't it yeah so on Monday seven Labour MPs quit the party and formed the independent group which is a group with no leader it's not a new political party they don't really have a manifesto as such they're not standing in any elections which is a point we will definitely return to in a second Mm mm-hmm um, but they they sort of launched this very low key press conference, which was excellent actually. I really yes, have it was to say. it was very good and loads of people turned up, but low key in terms of the PR of it. And, stuff. Mm. and basically one by one, it was we we mentioned this at the end of our last big pod. You mentioned Luciana Berger and the issue of anti-Semitism, and she was basic. She was there. And she was the first Labour MP to stand up. She awkwardly introduced herself as the um, as the Labour MP, even though this was a press conference to announce that she'd resigned from being a Labour MP. Um, but basically, she got up and said, you know, anti-Semitism, the way the party's run, Corbyn's absolute refusal to do anything about it, and also the way we're handling Brexit. These are the reasons I'm quitting. X, Y, Z, boom, done. And then the other six Labour MPs all stood up and basically said the same thing. And I mm. think that's wonderful that actually there have been some people saying, well, there were some people who said, well, these people haven't been subject to anti-Semitic abuse. So why are they quitting? But I think if you think you have to be subject to abuse to take a stand against it, that's a ridiculous. Well, yeah. So one of the yes. MPs who yeah. left is Joan Ryan. She's She was the leader of um, Labour Friends of Israel. She's the daughter of two Irish immigrants. You know, she, she's not yeah. Jewish, but she supports uh, Jewish people and she supports the state of Israel. And I think, yeah, so you don't you don't have to be Jewish to be opposed to anti-Semitism, do you? No, absolutely not. So so there were originally seven of them who who quit by Thursday and eighth Labour MP had resigned. That was Joan Ryan. And then so that was early Thursday morning. And then by Thursday lunchtime three conservative MPs had resigned Mm. and also joined the breakaway group which Katie and I thrilled about because on Wednesday night we correctly predicted all three of them this is our favorite thing to do though isn't it Fran and I are such nerds (laughs) pulled out recently by a friend about our uh, love of data but uh, it's data that means we are so good at predicting this. Yes, because exactly. Because we called the MPs. We called the collectively, MPs. We called them. We collectively called them because we had all the data on them. And, well, I don't think those two were particularly surprised at. But my my massive Excel spreadsheet of the, well, it was then 317 MPs. It's now 314 MPs. But basically, this is now we now have the data to make a sort of targeted list of who we could also predict might resign from the Conservatives. Mm. Actually, we should probably name, shouldn't we, the people who left? Yes. Sorry. Yes. So Anna Subri, uh, Heidi Allen and Sarah Wollaston are the Tory MPs who left. 
And they cited, it wasn't so much anti-Semitism because that's a Labour issue, not a Tory issue. But uh, they basically cited the influence of the ERG and DUP MPs on the Conservative Party. And they said Brexit has undone all the efforts to modernise the party. Because yeah. um, these, are, these are what would be termed one nation Tories, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about Sarah Wollaston, actually, but both uh, Heidi Allen and Anna Subri were they were both on that list that was produced just before Cameron got elected. The the A grade. Do you know about this? There was a list that was produced of basically candidates that the Tory party had identified as being good at bringing the Conservative Party into sort of an electable party. In the oh, right. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And both of them were on it. And they're both sort of, you know, they're, they're women. Heidi Allen's young. Anna Subri, former newsreader. Former barrister. Yeah. So they they were both identified as sort of the type of MPs that they wanted to take the Conservative Party forward. And to have mm. both of them resign is actually quite a big blow to the Conservative Party. Well, they mentioned it, didn't they, in their, in their resignation letter that you know the Tories are hemorrhaging young votes yep um and under David Cameron we've talked about this before that he's like he's not the most charismatic man in the world no but he is more charismatic than Theresa May yes um ever so slightly I mean it's not a it's not hard is it um no and they did very well at essentially what they did was split the Lib-, Lib Dem vote after the coalition and probably equal numbers of four, w- young people who previously would have been Lib Dem mm-hmm. went to young Conservatives and went to young Labour because essentially the coalition managed to destroy the argument that the Lib Dem was the pro-young people's party. Because of tuition fees. Exactly. And it was an incredibly smart move. Whoever was yeah. the strategist on that pay raise yeah actually they probably don't need one so no <laughs> no pay raise because yeah didn't george osborne just buy like a three million pound chalet in verbier oh all right okay he is the heir to a wallpaper fortune though i hate wallpaper right there's been a lot of reactions to to the independent group and it should also be said a, a ninth labor mp resigned on friday but he's he's not joining the uh the independent group no. He's not gonna he's not gonna sit with them because um he's pro Brexit, basically. And everyone who's in the independent group is pro Remain, pro people's vote. Shall I read I'll just read out briefly who it is and then yeah, so yeah. we know. So it's uh Chaka Umana, who's the MP for Streatham, uh Luciana Berger, who is the MP for Liverpool Wavertree, Chris Leslie, the MP for Nottingham East. Angela Smith, the MP for Peniston and Stocksbridge. Mike Gapes, the MP for Ilford South. Gavin Shuker, the MP for Luton South. Which is very awkward because at the press conference it was very clear that no one had ever heard of him. Yes. <laughs> Bless his soul. <laughs> well, actually, he's very interesting because he took that seat after uh, an expenses scandal pushed out his predecessor, who was Margaret Moran. Anyway, and Kofi, who's the... MP for Stockport mm-hmm. and then the eighth one who joined the day after was Joan Ryan who's the MP for Enfield North yep and then uh, Anna Subri who's also a Nottingham MP 
Heidi Allen is a Cambridgeshire MP. Sarah Wollaston is for a Devon MP. And then the um, the one who who left was Ian on, on Friday was Ian Austin uh, from Dudley. Even though he's pro leave, like still props to him for leaving a party that's just a bully basically, and also props to him for announcing it through his local paper. He did yes. it through the Dudley Daily Star, whatever it's called. I don't know. It has some terrible name, but uh, props to him for doing it through that and not for ringing up support local journalism it's really yes absolutely so well done Dudley is in the West Midlands for anyone who doesn't know that because I had to google it and I felt like a bad Midlander for not knowing where Dudley is we should talk about Labour anti-Semitism really shouldn't we we should get that big bad horse out of the way yes and then yes I have a few questions for you um well I want your opinions and then I'm going to voice mine and then some comments we've had on the Instagram as well um but yes let's talk about Labour anti-Semitism yes I think actually the issue of Israel might be something that Fran and I disagree on oh right possibly (laughs) possibly okay off you go let's see where we go with this indeed I should preface this preface this by saying that any form of discrimination against Jewish people, any association between the actions of the Israeli government and the average Jewish person, et cetera, et cetera, is completely abhorrent. Um, anti-Semitism is unacceptable in any way, shape or form. I think Labour is interesting because it has had, with the with the rise of people like Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell, well, it, it has really exacerbated a culture that, is repugnant and is abhorrent when it comes to anti-Semitism. And part of the reason for that is because because Labour has typically been a working class party, it has often kind of had this this uh, anti-financial elite attitude and it has rested on a lot of anti-Semitic stereotypes which associate Jewish people with financial elites. You know, it's the typical Shylock moneylender trope, that kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm which is completely wrong and also there's a very interesting history to it about how money lending used to be considered a really awful profession and when christianity came to the fore and particularly in the west um became the dominant culture and jewish people were persecuted it used to be one of the few professions that jewish people were allowed to take up yeah it was considered something that christians didn't want to do and so I think it's interesting that there has been this resurgence under Corbyn of serious anti anti-Semitism. That something which existed during it's existed for a long time, but particularly like during the seventies, has really like come back to the fore again. Yeah. So I think it's come back to the fore because Corbyn is so openly pro Palestine. But I think it's I think his pro Palestinian stance has not not urged but I think it's it's yeah no maybe it has urged those feelings in people who necessarily wouldn't have Mm, yeah voice them uh so in terms of you and me and Israel (laughs) which is how we often start a conversation you mean Israel (laughs) you mean Israel that's the title of the pod this week (laughs) so I am both pro and anti-Israel and before mm-hmm. everyone jumps on me. So 
So I am pro-Israel in the sense that I completely understand the Zionist movement for a Jewish state. That seems perfectly legitimate. These are the people who have literally always been without a homeland. They've been persecuted for thousands of years. And the right to want a state where you are protected, where the state is a Jewish state, is, you know, I think that's perfectly legitimate. So I'm pro-Israel in that stance. And I accept Israel's right to want to exist. I'm anti-Israel in the sense that I'm anti the way the Israeli government goes about that, and especially in regard to its treatment of Palestinians. And so I do things like I refuse to buy Israeli goods. So like I won't buy Israeli potatoes or something, partly because of the air miles, but also because um, of the way that the Israeli government operates its apparatus and I think there has to be a you have to there has to be some caveat to that you have to understand that the way Israel operates yes it's surrounded by extremely hostile states to it and so from their point of view any of their softening of their stance you know when you've got groups like Hamas and Hezbollah I mean yeah like Mm. dangerous to suddenly soften anything and yeah yeah, those states around them do hate them but then you get into a cyclical argument of well which sort of chicken and egg which came first do they hate them because of their treatment of palestine or do they hate them for other reasons Mm. and do they do they hate them because they're jewish or do they hate them because you know and it it all gets a bit sort of it's then very difficult to how do you break that cycle and Mm. how do you resolve it so 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 that's a that's a tricky one and this is a very um it's a contentious issue isn't it yeah absolutely and so I think it's it's I mean the the current Netanyahu really doesn't help the situation no and I think it's interesting my stance on Israel has changed somewhat Mm -hmm. so I think if you'd asked me a year ago I probably would have said I was in the same position that you were in I think for me what I've realized is that and this is again this is a personal perspective so the whole point of this podcast is the fact that Fran and I don't agree on everything. So <laughs> it's yeah. just, I don't know whether it's actually appeared yet, other than we did once sort of disagree on the fact that I think David Cameron is more charismatic than Fran does. <laughs> but I think I probably now hold a more pro-Israel stance than I did previously. And that's not, again, I I agree with you that I think Bibi Netanyahu is a very problematic individual who isn't necessarily helping the case. But I think there is significant value to having what is a relatively strong democracy in the Middle East. Yeah, um, in a very turbulent area. Yes, in a very, very turbulent area. And if you, um, if you are a journalist, I mean, you'll probably be based out of Israel because it is a very... It's safe. safe um, stable, yeah. I then have sort of I do have questions about sometimes we ask things about Israel, which are important questions to ask. Don't get me wrong. So, for example, I do completely disagree with blockade and essential siege of Gaza and the West Bank. You know, I am I think Palestinian people have human rights just as much as Israeli people. Don't get me wrong or anything like that. Um, but we do often ask questions about Israel in terms of their behaviour, where we don't ask similar questions of other nations. That's that's probably fair, yeah. You know, I I think about the way, for example, the French uh, foreign forces behave abroad, and that's a broad 
brush don't get me wrong but there is and this is based on evidence this isn't just sort of personal opinion there is significant evidence to support a real issue of human rights abuses by french french uh songer foreign legion in um sub-saharan africa for example like Mm -hmm. the way the brits treated iraqi prisoners you know all of this yeah we do have a culture where that it it's i think israel becomes an easy target and i don't think that necessarily means that it's unfounded some of these criticisms or anything like that that's not what i mean but more that sometimes it's we can boil down the issue of israel palestine to oh it would just be much better if israel didn't do xyz and that's not you personally that's just in general and i guess well this is the same thing that i think about a lot of things that we end up with these reductionist arguments where yes well i think one of the one of those reductionist arguments is that uh people just tend to say well this would all just be easier if israel didn't exist well yes exactly and 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 it's sort of well you know the Israel's exist for almost 100 years now so the ships really sailed on that one like it's here to stay and whether you think it was right to be founded in the first place or not and actually I do think it was right to be founded mm. just not necessarily quite where it was founded well also Which, this is the well, same yes it's sort of those right those claims to Jerusalem it does make sense and there's a there's a biblical and um Talmudic history to kind of like its location and that kind of thing so I think, it, yes, it is, it's one of those things where it's difficult because there's a historic and religious precedent to where the state of Israel is. But also part of it is that after British mandatory Palestine, we did just draw lines on a map and go, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And actually, we should have listened to uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Have you ever mm. seen, he he drew up some maps that um, basically divided the Middle East and North Africa in ways that reflected, you know, tribal homelands and stuff. Yeah. And the British basically just ignored it. And then you had Lord Balfour as well and basically just came along and went, shh, straight yeah, Sy- Sykes Pico and all of that kind yeah, of stuff. So. Yeah, so. Well, the same issue is, is true of um, India and Pakistan, isn't it? It's just, a, it's yeah, literally well, a straight line. Yeah, yeah but the amount of people who died as a result of that border is. So. Oh, yeah, crossing it and the Kashmir region and all that is just, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, I think what I would say is, so, for example, I don't boycott Israeli goods. Right. Um, and that kind of thing. And so, I yes, my, my stance, I think, towards Israel has, I don't want to say softened because it wasn't like I was really hard against Israel previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe it's just changed to be. Yeah. So I think you then get into the arguments of, well, how do we resolve the issue? And at the moment, I don't think it's in Israel's interest to resolve it. I think is the one big because Israel is clearly the far superior partner in the Israel-Palestine standoff, basically. Mm. Um, And they enjoy massive amounts of support from the US and the political will to do it. I mean, the leaders, it's not like you haven't got some sort of Nelson Mandela figure. So there isn't really any sort of internal Israeli push for reconciliation because Mm. it doesn't really, other than the occasional attack, it doesn't really hinder day-to-day Israeli life. I do think it's unhelpful. I'm not suggesting you're saying this. There is a definite trend of people terming it apartheid. Right. And I don't know if that's helpful. It's drawing on the South African example, obviously. Yeah. And which the issue and I with don't that, like it when people take one example from one country to another because it never actually works. Because Also, the, the issue about South Africa was that white South Africans were at one point 
people who came and colonized South Africa. And the apartheid system resulted from that colonization. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of we were here first is a bit tricky because the state of yeah Palestine never really existed in the way that states do now. Yeah. Because, you know, it was post World War Two and kind of carving Ooh, up and yeah. letting go of empires and stuff. So the way states existed prior to the British wasn't really it's not the same as it is now yeah. so this idea yeah. is all very complex and the role of the ottomans and that kind of thing yeah yeah and so that's i just i dislike it it leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it makes all it it's a it's a horrible anti-semitic trope i guess it's it's making israelis out to be the same as racist white africanas and i'm not saying every africana is racist or anything like that or you know this is complicated but i just i think it's more complicated and i think we can be more nuanced than yes And I have full sympathy for how on earth this situation moves forward, because if Israel and this is the point I was making earlier, but, you know, if Israel were to start offering concessions to in its way, its treatment of Palestinians and stuff, I if I were Palestinian, I would be very. Wary. Because Mm. of such a history of why would you trust that? So then. Yeah. And the issue of trust is huge on both sides. Uh, yes the complete lack of trust in 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 both sides and that goes that also goes back to neither side and this is this is a criticism of neither side have a real push or a real leader on either side who's pushing for reconciliation it's sort of all one way or the other there's no oh, yes yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. no desire to and that's a criticism of both of them um mm. and i but, think yeah you can be absolutely like, there's nothing anti-semitic about disagreeing with a foreign policy or you know in the same way that saying oh I disagree with America's foreign policy isn't anti-American it's just it's it's a it's a stance it's I think the issue with and drawing this back to kind of like why we were having this discussion the issue with the Labour Party is this isn't based on a kind of like oh we've got these proposals to try and help the situation or we have this stance where we can respect the nuance and the complexity and the history well, it's just I think, we don't like Jewish people, and so we can we can clothe it in an anti-Zionist shroud and say it's just oh we're anti-Zionism, but yeah, which yeah. is wrong. This is definitely a, uh, something that is more prevalent on the left, and certainly more prevalent among young people. I think, which is, I think it always comes back to whenever you're talking about Israel, you just always come back to the point and remember why does Israel exist yes and then remember that start from that and then move forward Mm -hmm. we've talked about Israel which is goes back to you know the anti-semitism issues in labor but I think there's a couple of points I wanted to Mm -hmm. talk to you about Katie in the about the the new independent group so the independent group are Mm -hmm. you happy about it did you think it needed to happen do you think it will be helpful to the Brexit process? So I think it was a really good thing that happened. I think that I am very frustrated about the fact that politics seems to be completely devoid of people who actually have principles beyond wanting to be elected. And so I appreciated the fact that these people potentially put their political careers on the line for something they believed in. That makes me want to vote for people. That makes me want to turn around and say, yeah, I'll campaign for you because you actually believe in something yeah yeah I would uh I'm delighted it happened yeah 
don't get me wrong, I think there are plenty of people in Parliament who do have principles and being a member of a political party doesn't mean that you don't have principles or anything like that. That's not what I mean. But it has been a long time coming for someone to finally put their foot down and say that the way that the Labour Party is going. I mean, the Conservative Party is already gone. You know, it's already been sold down the river to the ERG and the DUP and... But I'm delighted that they actually referenced DUP as well in their resignation letter, because it's for me, it's not just it's not an internal conservative issue with just the ERG MPs. It's also the DUP are horrendous, like they really are. And the influence they've been allowed to have on the Conservative Party. Is well, just exactly. Ridiculous. And the influence they've been allowed to have on the politics of the nation. Yeah. So, oh, yes, the independent group now has more MPs than the DUP. Well, exactly. They've got 11 and the DUP has 10. It's exciting. They, uh, the current polls show that they have more support than the Liberal Democrats, which I think is hilarious. Bless um, <laughs> Although I did really appreciate the fact that Vince Cable basically said that uh, in the areas where the independent group would be standing, they would not field candidates. Yes, because I, I definitely think your ind- your average independent group supporter would also be a Lib Dem supporter, which basically sums up me. <laughs> I saw I saw oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw this uh, the Economist did out a uh, uh, infographic this week, which I tweeted, and um, it said the average the average person who supports Remain is a woman in her mid to late twenties who has a postgraduate degree. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> please it happens because I think people standing up for their principles is really important we vote for MPs not for parties someone needed to do it and it might as well have been I think it's good that it's people who are such impressive MPs so you oh, know yeah, all of them yeah. and also just the fact that like people who are saying oh there's no there's no anti-semitism in the party <laughs> I don't know if you saw Chris Williamson who was interviewed after the original seven saying oh I've never seen the Labour Party more united lies stop it <laughs> that's a Trumpian move if ever I've seen one. <laughs> yeah yeah although it was interesting there was a BuzzFeed article and we all know how much I love BuzzFeed apparently there were 30 MPs who are meant to resign it's not yet clear whether they're doing it in trickles to have more impact or whether 23 of them <laughs> decided not to. But yes, so that's, I think we can definitely expect more resignations, yeah. especially as uh, next Wednesday, whenever the 27th is. There's going to be another Brexit vote, which I imagine the Prime Minister will lose. The MPs then get to vote on a series of options from here because I imagine she'll lose it just because she hasn't secured anything unless she cancels that vote and just goes straight to other options. I don't know. But um, so, yes, we are probably expecting more resignations. Now, I think what is interesting is we're both delighted about it. Finally feel represented by someone. But I think there are two big problems. The first is what is the longevity of this group? Because whether you like it or not, and as wonderful as I think Anna Subri is, particularly for her stance on Brexit, she's still very Tory, very austerity, very bedroom tax. On everything other than Brexit, I probably wouldn't vote for her. Mm. And then... I mean, well, Heidi how, Allen, very interesting that she's been saying... Heidi Allen, why was she ever a Conservative? Well, yeah, I do think under Cameron, it looked like there was going to be this Tory party that was going to say, 
okay, we need to rein our spending in a little bit. We need to be a bit more sensible with the books, but we still give a crap about people. The Conservatives were much more acceptable because they had the Lib Dems reining them in. Yeah, and then after the Lib Dems went, suddenly it was like, oh, actually, there's all of this stuff that the Tories have always believed in. Yes, and then it, yeah, the the Lib Dems were definitely a, a break on a lot of yeah. what the Conservative Party actually is. <sighs> the longevity of the independent group post-Brexit, and obviously Brexit is going to take up our lives for the rest of eternity, is what it feels like. But how united these MPs will be on an issue that's not Brexit could be very divisive, which might be why they actually don't form a political party. They might just exist as a group to highlight issues until something is done. Yes, that's true. And also, to be fair, um, the three Tories in particular are the ones who have been targeted for deselection, aren't they? Yes. And, well, and Luciana Berger as well. But... Uh, yes, 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 yes. But... Um, not that, not to plug another podcast, but if you, everyone should listen to it. It's it's a 24-minute interview with Anna Subri from the Times Red Box podcast with uh, Matt Chorley. He's also very good. You should follow him on Twitter. And... Uh, she quite openly says in that that she doesn't know if she'll run again. She is early 60s. Um, is she? Yeah, she doesn't look... Well, she looks good, doesn't she? I was like, oh, she's like 52. No, no, no. She's. I think she's a year younger than my dad, which makes her 62, 63. Wow. Something like that. So she's she's very much sort of, don't know, it's exhausting, it's wonderful, but will I do it again? Don't know yet. But at mm. the moment, the priority is stopping Brexit or getting a better Brexit but well she's very much stopping Brexit camp yeah. but um so so that's one of the the issues is does this party have legs difficult to to say and if you look at their website which actually I really like their website it has been you, very well done hasn't yeah it? I like it a lot but mm. if you look at it their policies are not so much what they're for it's just what they're against which I think is fine for now if they're just going to run as a group if they're a political party, that's obviously going to need a lot more nuance and work. And how big the independent group grows will remain to be seen. But how long that can function without some sort of de facto leader, whether they're actually declared a leader or not, will also yes. be interesting. The second issue, which keeps popping up on Twitter, and actually during the week, I on our Instagram, I put up some photos from the uh, the day the Conservatives joined the independent group because there was there was a wonderful photo, very Sex and City-esque, of yes. Joan Ryan and the three Tory MPs, ex-Tory MPs together. And then there was that that almost <laughs> uh, Renaissance-esque painting of them in Parliament. The DUP MPs, Emma Little-Pengelly and Ian Paisley Jr. just looking so rad. <laughs> well, they were furious, weren't they? Because it was so like at that furious. point... They've been overtaken. Yeah. So I put these photos up just to say, you know, this is what's happening and we'll talk about it in in the pod. And people yeah. started commenting. They obviously hadn't read my caption because I the caption didn't really put support for them one way or another. Yeah. Other than the DUP have been overtaken. Woohoo. But two people commented and one said, have some integrity, stand down, have a by-election, as the Labour MPs should as well. None of you are a loss to the party. Subri looks in a hurry, probably heading for the bar, which is just offensive, so stop that. Well, I'll just also, like, come up with something a bit better. 
And then the other one, which, Katie, was this you? The account's called The Awakened Wolf. No, it wasn't. You love a wolf. Um, uh, she... Sorry, I've just clicked on The Awakened Wolf's profile. Do you want to hear their bio? Yeah, OK. How much of this do you think? Is it white male? Is he? <laughs> no NWO, which means no new world order. No EU. Hmm. No UK. Oh. <laughs> no monarch. OK. No gods, no wars, peace, Autarkist. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Half English, half Irish. Interesting. Vegan. Sustainability. I don't think wolves can be vegan. <laughs> well, anyway, their 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 comment was uh, she, and I'm assuming by she they, I think they probably mean Anna Sue because she's yeah. probably the most prominent of the three toys. I would say. She wants a people's vote because she thinks the country has changed their minds and don't want it. But she doesn't want a by-election, even though the people in her constituency have changed their minds and don't agree with what she has done. So this was a common argument that came up. And I actually, I think I probably ultimately have to agree with it, is that the MPs should call by-elections. Oh, interesting. And I know you said earlier we elect MPs, not parties, uh-huh. which we do. But the MPs stood for election on a party manifesto that they are no longer a part of Mm. and the whole thing with all the MPs who are part of this independent group support people's vote and the whole mantra of the people's vote has been the conditions have changed so we need to have another vote Uh and applying that argument to the conditions have changed for who you voted for as an MP because you voted for them under a manifesto and those conditions have now changed so you thought you were voting for a conservative MP and now you don't have a conservative MP so that logic even though I can see the logic of we we vote for MPs not parties Mm. but the logic of it's complicated by the fact that they support people's vote because the same logic for people's vote is the same logic that applies for them having a by-election so it's very difficult for you to support people's vote and to not support them having a by-election now of those MPs who run are part of the independent group I've looked at them, to be honest, the only one I can see getting re-elected as an independent would be Chukka. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Someone like Chukka Amuna is, he has enormous personal support. He he was elected with something like over 74% of the vote when he when he was re-elected as, as an MP. And uh, at the time when he, remember that, that, that hot second when he ran for Labour leader and then decided it was too much paparazzi and too much in the public spotlight. He is a very likeable person. I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah, it literally was, he ran for a day and that was it. It was so funny. And um, yeah, he is, he is, he is very charismatic to use that word again, but yet he is, he does have huge public support and he's, you know, he's from an area in London. London is very Remain. I, I, I think he would be re-elected no problem, but I think the others would be just decimated to be honest. So there, there was that, point that we get back to of you know they've sacrificed their potential political careers which I think to be honest almost all of them have because if they call by elections I think they're done for so then you do get to the point of well what was the point in doing it which is why they're not calling by elections but I can see the logic of and I think ultimately the longer they leave it the worse it looks because if the longer they leave it and the calls for by-elections increase and then eventually they do it it kind of looks like you did it because you were made to rather than because actually it was the democratic thing to do 
And so I think that decreases your chances of being re-elected even more. Yeah. So it's, it's a tricky one because I, I completely think they were right to leave the parties and I'm really happy they did and I'm really happy the independent group exists. But I, I actually, I just can't argue with the logic that they should have by-election. I think it's interesting and certainly I don't think that they shouldn't call a by-election prior to the next general election. So actually at some point I think they probably should. I don't think there's actually an imperative to do it at the moment and my reason for thinking that is that ultimately they believe they're doing this for the good of the country. Mm -hmm. Brexit is in just over a month. And the whole point that they have left these parties is because they don't think either of them are suitable for governing. Yeah. And so I think that absolutely they should call by elections, you know, the end of this year or what have you. But actually, I think what they're doing right now is about saying that, oh, this is the, you know, we're doing this for the good of the country. We're making a stand. And so... I'm not opposed to a a by-election and actually I think you're very right in terms of the people's vote but I think if you disagree with the stance that these MPs have you are already represented in parliament. Yeah that's, that's fair. And if you agree with them they're your lifeline at the moment and they're your lifeline because who else is standing up for actually standing up and saying that there is such a problem with these two parties that you know something has to change um so I agree that yes there should be a by-election I just don't think it's actually right now an imperative yeah I think okay that's probably do you get what I mean like it's not that I disagree with a by-election and I completely agree that the logic of like all the circumstances have changed but I think it's not because I actually don't think that, you know, the Labour MPs who have left fundamentally disagree with Labour principles or the Tories that have left actually fundamentally disagree with One Nation Toryism. I think it's that they disagree with the leadership of the two parties. Yeah, and the way the parties are. And there's, you know, Theresa May can't lose a confidence vote in the House of Commons and she hasn't lost the confidence vote within the party. Yeah. And... Jeremy Corbyn isn't going to be subject to a confidence vote. At least he wasn't going to before these people left. We'll have to see what happens. But so that's my only that's my logic is that actually the reason they're doing this is for this pressing issue that's like coming up right now. So. Yeah. And I think, yeah, were a by-election to be held now in the the lead up to Brexit, I don't think that would be very helpful in terms of taking the spotlight away from the issue. Exactly, yeah. But do we also think Brexit is going to happen on the 29th of March? Who knows? And yeah, I'm not at the moment, convinced. Like... At the moment, I'm leaning towards no. Mm. But I think we should very briefly talk about arts and culture. Don't ask me about Fintan O'Toole's book. I am still reading it. I'm getting through it, but I want to talk about it when I've completely finished mm-hmm. it, which yeah. considering I will have no job within a week, I will f- finish it very quickly. Delightful. Um, so I'm not going to talk about books, but I went to go and see Green Book yesterday. Oh, yeah. So 
good oh. actually to go back to what we were talking about with bernie and sort of lived experiences yeah that's it's a good one because uh it's actually based on a true story oh. or it's like inspired by a true story it's difficult ah. there are there are differences in what based and inspired mean yes yes that's true but um one of the executive producers was the uh one of the lead characters sons Oh, okay. So right. the guy it was based on is uh-huh. his son. So, and there's a book and everything. So um, I think it had more elements of truth than, than not. Um, but yes, very, very, very good. Oh. And this afternoon, so all my housemates are away and I hate being on my own. So I might go to the cinema this afternoon and watch On the Basis of Sex. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Which is out now. I mentioned it in our very first podcast. It is actually now out in cinemas, getting very good reviews. So I might go and see that. Oh, nice. And what have you been reading? What have you been watching, listening to? Well, sorry, my, I sound like a demon is being exercised from me. Um, because I've been unwell. What have I been reading? Oh, so, so. <laughs> so um, the week when we couldn't record, this will tell you how busy we were. I didn't read anything. Oh, well, oh you were it's busy. All. Yeah. <laughs> you were busy, yeah. <laughs> Because I finished that book about um, James II, that really short book. And then, yeah, that was an afternoon's read. <laughs> yeah, and then didn't read anything for a week. Um, and then this week, because I've been ill, um, I have not been reading anything political, which has been quite nice, actually. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading a book which is called On Reading Well, and it is by... Oh, this isn't your trash Sainsbury's book. No, I actually haven't got around to reading that yet. Oh, right. Because I feel like that would be a good ill book. Yeah. I think it's because, like, it's quite hard to concentrate, you know, when you're, like, foggy-brained. Yeah. And so this book that I've been reading is, um, yeah, it's called On Reading Well. It's by a lady called Karen Swallow-Prior. And it's basically about, like, the relationship between good literature and good virtue and being human and that kind of thing. Yeah. Because the chapters are kind of broken up. You can read them in isolation or you can read the whole book. Okay. Or you can read a chapter and put it down and not pick it up again for two days. And I don't have to remember what's happened because they're in isolation. Meanwhile, yeah. a book with an actual plot. I feel like I have to remember what happens. And I can, yeah, yes. Bearing in mind that I watched all of the Harry Potter films twice this week and enjoyed them both times because I've basically forgotten what happened. <laughs> Which is what annoyed me about them splitting the final film, actually, because there was such a long wait in between the two. Yeah. And also because the vast majority of the first one's just in a tent. Yeah, no, I don't like the first one at all, actually. Oh, part one, sorry. I'm a big fan of Philosopher's Stone. That's good. Yeah. Um, So, yes, been watching a lot of Harry Potter, been reading, been listening to a lot of podcasts, and actually I'm going to shout out to a different podcast, which is really good. It's called The Lonely Palette, Um, and basically what they do is they take a piece of art and they talk about it a little bit and they talk about the artist. And they're quite short episodes and they're just really nice. Okay, we definitely can't do that because my me and art don't go together very well. <laughs> well, see, that, that was why I was like, oh, well, it's not plugging a politics podcast or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's something we really can't do. <laughs> yeah. Um, or maybe Katie could do, but I can't do. Um, <laughs> so if you're, if you're like me where you like a bit about the history and you enjoy sort of like nice art but you don't I always think I'm a fairly superficial consumer of art because I just like what I like and the paintings that I like I'm then interested in 
what does that symbolise and all that kind of stuff. But like I'm not sort of, you know. And so it's been quite interesting because they've talked about some stuff which, um, so they talked about like a Cezanne painting, which I think I've seen the original of actually, but I've never really given much thought to it. It was very interesting. So so it's called The Lonely Palette. Okay, so I think that, that's it. That's it. I'm oh. off to go and hack up a lung. <laughs> Fran's going to the cinema. So you can follow us on Twitter at desert underscore politics. You can follow us on Instagram at desert politics pod. And actually, we have been fairly good about releasing some little bios about 2020 presidential candidates. Yes, they will be continuing throughout yeah. this week. I promised my friend Joe I would give him a shout out because he does listen to everything. So hi, Joe. Thanks for this. Joe. Is Joe the one that said I had good banter? Yeah. Joe's my favourite listener. <laughs> I mean, when the others are white male, an orange man, and a wolf that hates the EU. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Katie underscore Brooks 95. Or Toffee Apple Chew. Not to out Don't me. Don't out me! If yeah. anyone wants my, um, my faux Twitter account, it's called Toffee Apple Chew. <laughs> It's, it's related to another podcast, you know, just... It's pretty niche if you're not in yeah, on it. If you are is, in on it, it's... Um, it's um, at Horsey to the Dutch. So... <laughs> and the, the two is the number. Not, yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a niche audience, really. Um, I was scrolling back through it the other day and I just... Oh, my gosh. I really need so to... So funny. It. No, but there's a gif you have of, like, two people with horses' heads high-fiving oh yeah yeah yeah. and I was in work looking at this and it was just so funny good times anyway anyway I can find you on twitter please tell me before this continues (laughs) at queen of franta so yeah we will speak to you next week hopefully I will be recovered I will no longer sound like a demon has uh emerged from within me and Yes, I will be back next week. Um, I'm baby podding this week. I have no idea what I'm going to do it on, so I can. Uh, uh, something, your... something USE, I would imagine. Yes, it's actually it will also be released later next week because I have to present a case on Friday. Yeah, so. so our baby pods are meant to come out on Wednesdays, but I think if you just give, give us a bit of uh, a way with that sort of, they'll come out when they come out, but you will get them. Think of it as us keeping you on your toes. Yes. We are uh dynamic. No direct quote about me. Fickle. (laughs) Fran has never gotten over the fact that she was referred to as fickle. I know. Anyway, this is self topic and no one cares. So we will speak to you next week. (laughs) Bye everyone. BBC History magazine, go away. <laughs> oh dear, okay. They always send me these notifications being like, nine things you didn't know about US presidents. And I'm always like, what about? <laughs> <laughs> you know them all. <laughs> <laughs>